Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hello and welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast. I'm Matt Harmon and we have a special episode today because we have three incredible guests joining me. We're going to talk about the Giants, the Rams, and the Buffalo Bills. And the premise behind this show, if you all are familiar with the column I write every Sunday night coming out of a week's slate in the NFL during a regular season, it's the care, don't care column. Five things I care about, five things I don't. And for this episode, we're going to talk about three things that I have just found myself not really caring about when trying to project the Giants, the Rams, and the Buffalo Bills. And last week, we talked to Therese about three teams. This week, we're talking to three special guests about each team you're going to learn a ton about each offense and especially specific players that you need to be in on in fantasy this year. Let's jump right into it. All right. I'm pleased to be joined now by a longtime friend in the industry. Well, you know, I'm a friend. I'm, maybe I'm being too aggressive here, Charles. You can tell me, but I'll say longtime friend uh, in the industry. Charles McDonald, senior NFL writer for the New York Daily News. Charles, we haven't uh, kicked it around, I think, since you started this new gig, man. Uh, how are things going for you? It's going good. Uh, you know, I'm kind of flip, flip-flopping back and forth between the Jets and the Giants now. Uh, I started last year around the middle of the season. Like, the first game I went to was the Giants-Vikings game. So, you know, I, I got dropped right in the middle of the season, and uh, it's been hectic, but it's been a lot of fun for sure. And I, I think it's definitely fair to call us longtime friends. I mean, I think, you, <laughs> I think like, we first fall, started following each other, like, back when Football Savages was a real website. So, like, oh yeah, like, if you listen to this and you know what that is, like, you know that we've been around for a long time. So, it's always good to talk ball with you. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> that is a real throwback. I actually was going through old, old, old pictures on my phone the other day, and uh, Charlie, my older dog, is wearing, like, a Football Savages bandana so hell of a throwback there that was like six years ago (laughs) (laughs) Uh, perfect stuff yeah yeah I think it is fair to call us longtime friends so we're here today to talk about the Giants specifically I just don't really care about trying to figure out any of these wide receivers in terms of like their roles on the team who's going to be this guy or that guy except Sterling Shepard, who I still like, I I still think is the best player on the team in terms of the pass catchers. I think he's going to have the biggest season. Where are you standing right now on this wide receiver core? I think I would agree with your assessment that Sterling is probably the best player, you know, a, a, among their wide receivers. But the problem is like there, like so much crap happened to them last year. Where I think they only had one game last season where. Evan Ingram, Sterling Shepard, Saquon Barkley, Golden Tate, and Darius Slayton were on the field together. So, like, there was so much, so many moving parts last year that Daniel Jones, like, I'm not even sure 
how great his rapport is with Sterling Shepard right now. Uh, right. You know, even if you're high on Daniel Jones coming into the season, it's not like these two have had a lot of in-game reps together because Sterling had the concussion last year and Daniel was still getting his feet wet. So, you know, it, it's kind of hard when you look at this receiver group. And really, it's been the story since they traded Odell Beckham where, like, you don't really see a guy that terrifies you if you're like an opposing defense, but you see like a, a, a handful of guys that go, you know, if, if this guy, if Golden Tate had a good game, if Darius Slayton had a good game, if Evan Ingram had a good game, like you wouldn't really be surprised in any other way, but there's no one real like alpha dog. But I guess if, if there has to be someone that's going to get the majority of the target share, and I would assume that barring injury, that's going to be Sterling Shepard this year. Right. I mean, that was the case last year. You know, 22% of the team targets when he was healthy, that was more than any of the other Giants receivers. But that kind of brings us to Darius Slayton in this equation, too, because I, I don't know about you. I think Darius Slayton probably at best tops out as like a Marvin Jones type player, a guy that you're mostly using on the outside. You're counting on for big plays, can win in contested situations, but not an ideal separator across the route tree or whatever. But the chemistry between him and Jones did seem to be like really good last year. Yeah. Slayton's weird to me. Like when you try to project him for this year, because you know, a lot of it was unsustainable. Like if you would go back to that Eagles game where he had like 150 yards in the first half, like he's not Julio Jones. Like that's not something you would expect right. from him on a routine basis. And it's like, I guess if you're looking at it from a fantasy perspective, it's, you know, Slayton kind of reminds me he's one of those guys that you don't want to, if you put them in the starting lineup every week, you're probably not going to have a good time, but every once in a while, maybe he can like get you for a big game. And, with Slayton, it's like if Sterling Shepard is healthy, how much does that eat into his targets? Two, is he still going to be this big play machine this year? Because, like you said, I think him topping out as like a Marvin Jones type of guy is a very appropriate, a very fair comparison for him, a very fair career outlook for him. And, you know, it's not like Marvin Jones, even at his peak when he's been good, it's not like he's been this guy that you want to rely on like consistently. Right. Uh, so, you know, it, it's just kind of weird because. It's the same thing as Sterling Shepard to a lesser degree where Darius Slayton can hurt you, but, you know, you don't fear him in the way that you want him to be a huge part of your offense all the time. And, you know, it's it's almost like it's kind of hard to figure out the Giants pass catchers altogether because they just don't have like that one guy that stands out for you. And I don't think Darius Slayton's that guy. I think his I think Darius Slayton's skill comes more valuable, like on an actual football field than it does like trying to convert this stuff into fantasy, if that makes sense. No, that makes a lot of sense. And you, you I mean, exactly, you hit it exactly right. Like he was a, a splash player last year. He had that big game, big game against the Jets, 10 catches, 120, 121 yards, two touchdowns. Then between that and his other big game against the Eagles, like you mentioned, Eli Manning got, I remember thinking, like trying to project for fantasy that week, like, oh, Eli Manning's out there. He's dust. He can't throw deep. Like Slayton's not going to be the guy that week. Well, he goes out and has 154 yards and two scores. Golden Tate, Evan Ingram, the other two guys, they're kind of featuring in that pass catcher group, along with Saquon Barkley as a receiver out of the backfield. Tate led the team in receiving yards last year. How much like gas do you think he has left in the tank? I think he still has a... a fair amount because I mean I was surprised that that he was able to come in and you know perform the way he did last year because I just you know you, you have the quarterback situation where Daniel Jones was playing and you know he for most of the season I don't think he was playing all that great but Golden Tate like he, he came in he was a lot more serviceable than I thought he was gonna be I think one thing I learned about Golden Tate is that his game is kind of more robust than maybe some of his past 
duties would have called. Like when you think of Golden Tate, you kind of think of him as like just this slot guy who's going to rack up yards after the catch. And obviously he's very good at that. But I thought one thing he showed last year that I hadn't really considered of him from a skill set perspective was that he could actually go down the field and attack the ball. Like there are a few games where he's winning 50-50 balls. And maybe that's something that you see come over from last year to this year where you know, if there's one guy that Daniel Jones definitely has a rapport with, it's going to be Golden Tate out of, you know, it, it's probably, if you have to rank it, it'd be like Golden Tate, Slayton, Shepard, and then Ingram just based on time spent together last season actually on the field in the game. So, you know, I I was pleasantly surprised by Golden Tate last year because when I looked at the fit of, you know, just coming into the season, you look at the fit of, all right, well, we got Sterling Shepard, Evan Ingram, Golden Tate, in theory, that kind of creates like a logjam of guys who yeah. are just really good out the slot. But Golden Tate showed, and obviously injuries played a part into it, where he got a bigger role than maybe we were expecting. But he showed he can do a lot of things in the football field. So I, I wouldn't, I, I, I still expect Sterling Shepard, like if he's healthy, to get the like the bulk amount of targets this year. But you know, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see that that rapport with that golden show with Daniel Jones come back over into year two. Yeah. And in fantasy, Golden Tate is going like way, way late in drafts. He's kind of the forgotten man of this crew. You have the people who are still holding the candle for Sterling Shepard to have that long awaited breakout season. And obviously I fall into that camp. You got the aggressive people on Darius Slayton over there, but yeah, no one's really talking that much about Golden Tate. And I agree. Like he's always been a really good 50, 50 ball receiver. He's always been pretty good in the contested catch game, but they used him in sort of that stupid bunny hop system. And with Jim Bob Cooter's offense in Detroit, uh, which was just like not fun to watch at all. So we've kind of talked about the receivers and, one way or another, I feel like you haven't really backed me off the take of like, I don't really care about like trying to pick which receiver is going to be going to be the guy here outside of, again, my, my dude Sterling Shepard. But I think overall, the question also has to be answered, like, what is the state of this offense? Because number one, I think Daniel Jones was better than I expected him to be last year, but I'm not sure that he's definitely going to you know, be a top 15 type quarterback or something like that. So that's one question. And then we also have another question, which is like, Jason Garrett is calling an offense in the year 2020. Like last time we saw Jason Garrett as a play caller for a team, when he took over for, for the Dallas Cowboys, like that was actually a pretty fun experience, but that was like well over a decade ago. So Charles, how the hell is this going to work out <laughs> with Jason Garrett as the office coordinator here? <laughs> look, I wish I had a crystal ball. We can look into this thing, but <laughs> and I, I hate it because like every time someone has asked me about this, like, what do you think of Jason Garrett? And I just have like the world's biggest cop-out answer. Like I have no idea what to expect because you know, when you, like when you go back and you break down some of those times with the Cowboys, it's like they've always had a good offense in Dallas. Uh, you know, outside of maybe like a hiccup with a year in Tony Romo, or maybe you look at 2017 where the supporting cast kind of fell around Dak Prescott. Like they've always had at least like an above average unit. And it kind of makes you think like, well, how much of that is one, if, if Jason Gary isn't calling plays, how much of a role does he actually have in that? And obviously if you're an offensive backgrounded coach and even if you're not calling plays throughout the week you're still gonna have a huge hand in developing like the game plan and right looking at tendencies and figure out who you want to attack on the opposing defense so obviously it's not he deserves some credit but like you have that you have the enormous amount of skill talent with if you're looking at des bryant amari cooper jason Witten, the offensive line uh marco murray ezekiel elliott Dak Prescott, like they've had guys and like, like I was about to, my third point is like, they've always had the quarterback and 
none of those things really have trans- none of those things like on paper seem to be there for this Giants team. I do think the offensive line is going to be solid uh, because you know <laughs> you lose Nate Solder to uh, the coronavirus opt out. I think you can argue about how big of a loss that actually is. Right. Andrew Thomas should. Theoretically, slide in at left tackle. Uh, you still got Willie Hernandez and Kevin Zeidler in at guards. Good That's players, yeah. Pretty good duo if 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 you can get some quality center play. But it's not obviously it's not like Travis Frederick, Tyron Smith, right. Zach Martin, Lyle Collins. And then we talk about the receivers. You know, it's a solid group of guys. Like I don't think when you look at the group that they have, you're not sneezing at it. But it's not Amari Cooper. It's not Des Bryant. It's not one of those guys. So. I don't know how it's going to go. And I think we can certainly say to this point, Daniel Jones isn't nearly as proven as Tony Romo or Dak Prescott. So I think one thing that's kind of exciting about this Giants team in general is like, we're just going to learn a lot about how much coaching matters in the NFL. Because I think when you look at this roster, it's not bad. And I know we're focusing on the offense, but like when you look at the whole roster, it's not bad, but you have Joe judge who is, just the second special teams hire since like 2000, like in the past 20 years, it's just John Harbaugh and Joe Judge in terms of guys who've gone from special teams coach to head coach. So like that's a mystery. You have the mystery of what the hell is Jason Garrett as a coach? Because we know that in theory, he can be in charge of production, productive offenses, but we don't know how much of a role he has played in actually orchestrating these units into being great on the field. So I don't know what to expect. From, yeah. Freddie from, kitchens on the staff too. Uh, yeah, he's a tight end coach. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. So this is right. Like, I don't know what the hell's going to happen, but I know that the players don't stink, which is a good place to start. And the coaches have had some success in the past. So let's just kind of throw this all in a pot and see how it goes. But I'm like, just from a, if we can get through the season, I just think the giants are going to be such a cool case study on how far does coaching take like above average players I think I feel like that's kind of where they are right now yeah it's a great point like and even just from a watchability standpoint and an interest level standpoint this is by far the most interesting Giants team I think that they've put out in the last what like five to six years because you know the Eli Manning thing just that war on me you know <laughs> I was I was done with that but now I'm ready to sort of see this weird myriad of guys they put together that are just like you said, a lot of different skill sets and under this type of coaching staff. And I think if there's one thing we can kind of conclude on this point here with Jason Garrett is like if somebody breaks out from the pass catching core and does establish themselves as, you know, a better than average starter, whether that is Sterling Shepard, which again is still my bet, or maybe it's Evan Ingram. He becomes that, you know, kind of coverage dictating tight end or Slayton does become more of a consistent week to week producer. Then I think this offense is more than just like if you squint at it, it's good. Then I think it could actually be a pretty good offense. It could elevate a guy like Daniel Jones into being a productive week-to-week starter. So there's a lot of intrigue to watch uh, with the Giants. And obviously, we didn't even talk about Saquon Barkley, who's, of course, like the the, the headline player right, here. Right. Just last point here before we let you go, Charles, for you. And I want you to just give me one-word an- one answer on this one because you do cover the Jets as well. It would be <sighs> foolish of me not to get a yeah. little bit of Jets insight from you on this one. You're, you, Dude, you're popping up on Roto World now for the blurbs. Like Charles McDonald reports that Chris Herndon's going to have a big role in this offense. Because you're big time. I got to get one Jets you know, question. Like I said, one word answer. Should I should I care about the Jets offense at all this year? Uh, I would say outside of Jamison Crowder and Chris Herndon. Should I care about anything? At all? Uh, no. OK, cool.
Perfect. <laughs> That's all that I wanted to know. All right, Charles, thanks so much for uh, hanging out with me today, talking a little bit of Giants. The people can find you on Twitter at 4Verts, uh, and you're writing for the New York Daily News, and you're putting a good spin on everything. You're one of my favorite voices in the National Football League coverage right now, so I really appreciate you hanging out with me today, man. I appreciate the compliments, and uh, anytime you need back, I'll be more than happy to come on. Hopefully looking a little bit better than I do right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hey, man, next time we have you on the podcast, hopefully I'm looking a, bit, a little bit better. I don't know about Sully. He's the best he can do over there. Uh, and maybe just as a global community, <laughs> right, maybe right. we'll the all be doing a little bit better. Next time we talk, that'd be great too. <laughs> and now I'm excited to be joined by my friend Jordan Rodriguez. She covers the Rams for The Athletic now. A new gig for you, Jordan. You're out here on the on the best coast uh, with, I, with the rest of us elitists here. I know. I'm so excited to be here. You know, this is my favorite region, my favorite time zone. Um, so, you know, it's, it was a great four seasons covering the Panthers, but I'm really, really stoked to be out here in L.A. I think this is one of the most difficult offenses to predict this year because I think there's going to be a lot of changes. You know, some folks think maybe they do move back towards that 11 personnel grouping with three wide receivers on the field where they finished last year very strong, like running the football, two tight ends on the field everything like that. So my thought though, is like, I just, I don't really care about getting it right because, which is, is a stupid thing to say because, you know, especially when you're like trying to project for fantasy, I usually just like look, default to the best offenses. You think Sean McVay is going to put together a good offense, but help me out here, Jordan, because I'm finding myself I, like not caring. Like I said, about getting this offense, right. But I know that's probably not the thing I should be trying to get like, well, what's Robert Woods's role going to be? What Coop, what's Cooper cup going to be doing? Help me out here. Help me try to figure this group out a little bit. It's, maybe a little simpler than, than I think what people think, if that makes sense, because I think a lot of it is going to predicate on the offensive line. You know, you've got two guys on that line coming back from major injuries and then did not get a spring to play with their teammates. And that's Joe Noteboom at left guard, Rob Havenstein at right tackle. So that's really a big problem, right? So, um, Mm -hmm. we know that they were in consistent chaos and Jared Goff was consistently off schedule in his throws last year. So I think if we take the sample size that we saw last year, especially when they were going more toward 12 P and we move it into this year, that's pretty much what you're going to see. You're going to see a lot of 12 P I think at first, because it just, it's building on that momentum that worked for them, particularly when things were so off schedule for Jared. And so I I still think you're going to see a lot of 11 personnel and you still, even when they were running 12 all the time and Tyler Higby was sort of like breaking out, you still saw a lot of 11 personnel. You know, Robert Woods and Cooper Cup are going to continue to be the guys. But the emergence of Van Jefferson makes things interesting as well. Yeah. And then ball distribution is huge right now for them because not only now they're they're adding another layer to the running game, not so much, you know, it's just going to be different, obviously, without Todd Gurley. But the main difference is going to be establishing consistency. They didn't have that consistency with Todd Gurley in his final year. And he did some incredible things for this franchise, but they didn't have consistency in him the last year. So out of the gate, establishing consistency in the run game, because so much of what Sean McVay does in the past is predicated by what he can do in the run, not necessarily overcomplicating the run, but making it consistent, right. And, and having a, a sure, solid foundation. And that foundation was wobbly last season, not just from Todd um, going back and forth with the injuries, but also with the offensive line. So 
establishing the run game. And then I do think you're going to see a lot of 12 at first, um, just based on what I, I'm not allowed to report scheme, but I will say That's that is right, an, ed- yeah. an educated, <laughs> an educated direction to take people is you're going to see a lot of 12 P. And then I do think though, you're going to see a healthy amount of 11. And again, teams are now going to scheme to counter 12, but Sean's like, Hey, I've been running 11 since birth. So I can yeah. still run 11. <laughs> so it'll be, it'll be interesting. Yeah, exactly. And I know uh, rich rebar, we had him on the podcast uh, a couple of weeks ago and he brought up the point like, well, and it might not have even been on this show, but it, it, at some point he said recently, it's something that I was consuming of his. You would really tell I'm dialed in on this guy. Uh, he said, it was like, as soon as the Rams started like losing, like whenever they were trailing last year, they went right back to that 11 personnel too. So, and, and we, so we'll see a lot of different uh, mix of those two schemes together. I, it is my guess too, but there's a lot of threads to pull on based on just your kind of opener there. Um, before we hit the passing game, let's talk about the running backs too, because I think this is one thing I've I've sort of like started to shift just even over the weekend in my thinking because I I thought fantasy managers were way too bullish on Cam Akers like coming out of the draft, like treating him as if he was going to be sort of the guy, like no questions asked, which is weird because Sean McVay has kind of said we plan on employing a committee approach. We plan on, you know, using all three of these guys. I thought that the gap between Akers and Henderson just wasn't really justified based on what they were saying. Like I thought that gap would be closer, but now Henderson is banged up a little bit. That could give Akers, you know, some time to pull away. Where do you see these guys kind of fitting into this offense uh, as things stand right now? Yeah, so I I think it's less about Akers like pulling away and more about they're trying to just onboard the guy. I mean, it is such a difficult thing, especially because they're very much going to be working in committee. Like I, I know, I think that both backs, let's say in a vacuum, all three backs, Malcolm Brown, Daryl Henderson, Cam Akers are all healthy. I think Henderson and Akers get, the lion's share of the carries with Malcolm Brown being more of the exclamation point at the end of the sentence. He's very good in short yardage situations. He's very savvy, a power runner. He can go downhill if he needs to. Um, probably at this point, a little bit better than the other two, just because Cam Akers hasn't developed quite into the NFL body uh, uh, yet, right? Sure. So, and which is fair. I mean, it's not a knock on him. We know that. So no. the thing is, is Cam Akers is getting a crap load of reps in camp. But it's not just with the ones, it's with the ones and the twos because they're making up for lost time on him. So right now it's not, you know, I know people are really, really excited about Cam. I'm excited about Cam. Um, You know, I wrote a profile about his like he is a he is a legend in the state of Mississippi. Like I'm very excited (laughs) to watch this guy play. However, there it's it's truncating his onboarding into a very small window when normally you'd have six months. And so Daryl Henderson hurting his hamstring the other night really was a setback for this entire group, because not only are you now, you know, sort of adjusting the snaps because you're trying to onboard this rookie, but now you have to adjust him again because the guy who was going, you're going to lean on early in the year as you're onboarding that rookie is now dealing with a hamstring injury and it's really finicky. So by mid season, I think we're going to see what these guys are going to look like as a committee. Um, right now they have to do a lot of different kinds of adjusting, but I think at the end of the day, if you're looking at big picture body of work, I think Henderson and acres are going to be your lead guys. I think they're going to use Henderson a little bit more in the passing game at first. And then I think cam Akers will get a little bit more of actual carries, but by the end of the year, they're going to, and, and I keep trying to 
um, predict this because I think it would be so fun to see. I think you might see a little bit of an Ingram Camara situation with Henderson and Akers by the end of the season. And, and I think that would be really dynamic and exciting for Sean McVay's offense. Right. I mean, the organization obviously likes both of these guys. They spent uh, day two picks back to back years on Henderson and then Akers. And you could argue whether, you know, that's a smart team building move based on how you want to talk about the running back position. We know that the whole discussion is always ongoing in NFL circles. But I think that obviously the organization likes these two guys. They like the they like the way they can fit in. And I do think that's a pretty good like comp for them, the the Kamara Ingram comp and everything like that. I think it would make the offense so much more exciting. But that my whole point with this, and I, I feel like you didn't really talk me off my my position <laughs> there, which is mostly like I've been kind of just saying that the gap is not as wide as sort of, like I said, fantasy managers, the ADP has sort of dictated it so far. And you're even saying that as this running game is not even just trying to find itself as a whole. Now, the constant theme of the NFL is chaos. Chaos has already hit this backfield. It might not be till midseason, maybe even the back half of 2019 or 2020 that really we see this this backfield in its full uh, and complete height of its powers. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, yeah, you summed me up better than I could sum me up. So that's that's exactly <laughs> what I'm saying. And then I do think you're correct on this, Matt. I don't think there's going like in a vacuum, like let's say Henderson is cleared. He's good. He's not having any finicky issues with that hamstring by the opener. I do think that that gap is not going to be very wide between the two for a while. And they're going to see how they can work through at least having those two get the lion's share of carries and touches. Um, and especially, too, I'm seeing more work out of, you know, out of the backfield in these two running routes right now because – you know, we, we know that they wanted to work Todd Gurley in that fashion, but also, again, the knee and, and some of the inconsistencies and all of that, you just couldn't find a rhythm. So now, you know, you're seeing a lot of overall touches for both of these guys, right? And then Malcolm Brown has been in the passing game a little bit, but then again, works into that exclamation point role. So exactly what you're saying, I don't think the gap is as wide as people would think. I do think at the end of the year, Cam Akers is going to finish with more touches, I don't think the gap is crazy wide. Yeah, that, that makes sense to me. And Henderson was a guy I was really excited about coming out of college. Like I remember super that. Explosive. Yeah, yeah, I very remember that well. Henderson. Yeah, so let's let's move up to the passing game a little because I think this might even be like it seems more simple, but maybe I'm overthinking how complicated this passing game is to figure out. I mean, number one, you got a quarterback who Jared Goff, I think, is more product of his environment than the creator himself, if that makes sense. This passing game too, I think with Robert Woods and Cooper Cup, less so to a degree of Robert Woods and mostly Cooper Cup. I've never seen a receiver in, you know, the six years I've been doing work on the position have a more, have a more unique role. Let's put it that way. Like the way that Sean McVay is able to get Cooper Cup open, able to get him, you know, wide open against zone coverage in the flat after like chipping a guy coming off the line <laughs> of scrimmage. You just don't see a lot of like even even traditional slot receivers. You don't see that out of a player like that. So do you expect Cup's role to sort of be consistent with what we've seen and sort of his workload be consistent? Or is he sort of like he was used differently and less so towards the end of last season? What the hell do we do with Cooper Cup coming into this year? How do we expect him to fill into this mix? Yeah, I think you're going to see a lot of of similarities between last year and this year in terms of what he's going to be doing because now you have 
him and Robert Woods coming off of their first, you know, double thousand season together where they've established that rapport. They understand how to work off of each other on the field. That's something that's really underrated about those two. That's really, really important is as one goes, another will also go because they, the the way that Sean McVay designs his route concepts, they very much all work off of each other as, you know, as they should, one would think, (laughs) <laughs> you, you would think yeah. not consistent across not the consistent, league, but you would think, but you would think. Yeah. And so I think that that, you know, you can be kind of artistic with these guys, especially the thing that was really interesting is now, um, you know, with Cooper cup and Robert Woods being able to work the, the way that they do, you can almost be artistic in the way that you design things for both of these guys, because Robert Woods and Cooper cup both know every possible route, every possible scenario for all five you know, eligible receiving spots at any given time. And that's something that Van Jefferson, the rookie, is also being onboarded in, as we learned this week, which I thought was really exciting because now you have these three pieces who can just sort of orbit around Jared Goff, you know, as if Jared's the sun and we're all planets, you know, just okay. And like orbiting around sunshine over here on the field. And so, you know, it's it's so interesting. And so I, I do see a very similar role. I also would be surprised if Cooper Cup's touches or targets dropped the way that they did last year. I would be very, very surprised to see that this year. I think that they're going to try to get those two to sustain. And like we, we talked about base layers earlier, I think those two are foundational pieces, the way that they can kind of set up the rest of the receiving concepts. Um, and whatever, you know, whenever you can factor the tight ends in after that, that's just gravy. Yeah, I mean, I think that this offense has always done a great job of giving Jared Goff layups more so, you know, come back to that Panthers connection. It's one thing I always <laughs> complained about those like Mike Shula, Cam Newton offenses, just, you know, just not enough layups before they started to transition, get different players in there. Um, this Rams offense, on the other hand, has always done a really good job of giving Jared Goff those layups and Cooper Cup is a big part of that. But you've brought up Van Jefferson several times without me mentioning him. And it seems like you're excited uh, from the video portion here i'm getting two thumbs up on the other side of the skype call talk to me about van jefferson a little bit like how what roles is he playing you've mentioned he's moved a lot to to a lot of different spots i think coming out of school he's a very refined gifted technician which is pretty rare for rookies coming in uh, and i think that's especially going to be helpful this offseason whereas you've mentioned the onboarding process is so much smaller than it normally would be yeah that's spot on matt and then also the fact that he ran a full tree in college as well is super super helpful because you are a technician not just in your little bubble and your little role that you were in in college, but in a wide variety of roles. And that's something that they are now onboarding Van with. I'm really excited about Van Jefferson. He got in his first, you know, live quote unquote scrimmage reps against the first team defense where he was matched. He was out in the X matched up against Jalen Ramsey for, you know, a five play series. I'm really excited about this guy. Like I I think, I think he's going to be a very, very good long-term, very good football player. And, you know, he was the highest receiver outside of uh, another first rounder who will not, I won't, I won't name, but he was the highest, the highest one on Sean McVay's board. And so it was because he could run, first of all, that full tree and then could come in and learn every single receiving position and build off of that knowledge that he already had and be, you know, work off of Robert Woods and Cooper cup in ways where yes, they can stretch the field with him if they want to, 
Um, cause he's looking really fast out there, which is good for him. Yeah. Cause I know he didn't run at the combine and all that sunk him or whatever, but like, you know, he's looking really fast so they can take the top off with him if they need to. But also what I think this is going to be more of is, is adding this layer of complexity to this offense in which you now have three guys who could line up anywhere on even any given snap and give these multiple layers for the defense to account for. And then also, again, the, the artistry of the design that Sean McVay and Kevin O'Connell do is, is very much playing off of each other as you get to the initial, then mid, then back half of the route. They very much kind of play off each other. And so Van working into that with the very precise route running ability that he has and the very, very precise way that he creates space and creates leverage and then tracks and then gets up to the catch point And then, you know, it's physical there. I mean, it's just one, one, he ticks all the boxes. I know I'm gushing. Yeah. I'm gushing right now. No, but like, you are. He really, you're definitely gushing. You know, I don't get like this because <laughs> the last time I got like this, it was Christian McCaffrey. So like, you know, it's right. It really, I, you don't see rookies as prepared as he is. You do not see that very often. And I think he's going to be fantastic for them. This is what I, this is why, why you're kind of changing my opinion of the offense as an entirety here. Like I'm, I'm moving less off my, uh, take, I'm moving off my take of not caring really about projecting this <laughs> offense because you're <laughs> me a little excited here about guys like Van Jefferson potentially unlocking more things for this offense beyond just okay you know what we traditionally know about Woods and Cup but I think having a guy that maybe can stretch the field and win at all levels on the route tree is really going to help keep a guy like Robert Woods at the flanker position really going to help keep Cooper Cup as a slot and then they move around of course pre-snap and everything like that so Exciting stuff here, Jordan. And thank you so much for for uh, hopping on here and previewing uh, this team for me. Because, again, like I said, one of the hardest ones to project. If you have any pieces coming up at the Athletic, the, I know you, you you're gushing about Van Jefferson. You got to have something coming, some cooking on this guy. More of a big a big feature. Anything that you're working on right now? Yeah. So I will have a bigger feature on Van coming out later in the season, kind of after live action starts. But right now with the Rams, I'm really digging into psychological stuff, uh, mental stuff, and, and so getting a little bit of a behind the scenes picture of a couple of of uh, very very important pieces in that building that make things tick and have helped them revamp and re uh, and understand the ways in which they can sort of keep their window forced open instead of just letting the league's sort of natural cycle close it for them. Just the different intricacies uh, and, and particularly the high stakes decision-making that comes along with that. So I'm very excited about those coming out soon. Awesome. Make sure everyone go out there and check those out. Jordan, thank you. Thank you so much for stopping by. All right, now I'm joined by Michelle Majuk from the Ball, ba- Ball Blast podcast. Uh, Michelle, number one, scale one to ten, how di- how well did I do uh, on the name? Because I, you know, I've heard people butcher it before. I didn't want to be one of those people. I've been on your podcast before, I did, so I thought it would be like extra rude if I really screwed up. You can quit. Give me a grade here, one to ten. You did Majuk as a ten, but Ball Blast, I'd got have to give you like a one on that one. Why? Because I was so focused on getting the name right that I screwed the <laughs> podcast up. Which you know, look, can any of us be perfect? It's hard to say. It's a tough year, but Michelle does great work. And the reason I wanted to have you on today, because we're doing for part of my care, don't care team preview series, you know, we're looking at one thing that I either just, I just don't care about when trying to project a team. And for the longest time, Michelle, I have 
felt, look, I just don't care about this backfield because in Buffalo, I'm very interested in the passing game. Like I love to draft Josh Allen. I'm a big Stefan Diggs, John Brown guy. So I like to take kind of the discount on them. But I typically have felt myself kind of pushing away from the backfield. But that has started to change in recent weeks. So I figured... I need you to come on here and tell me why I should care about Zach Moss, because I got to tell you, I, I, I don't know that we've talked about Zach Moss enough on this here podcast, uh, or at least on my episodes that I've been doing. So a lot of people are starting to push him in the industry, but I feel like you were the original hype train, uh, <laughs> uh, the original hype train conductor. So I wanted to get you on to tell me the gospel of, of Zach Moss here. I'm going to talk so long about him, but I'm going to try to keep my calm because I'm Really high in Zach Moss. So coming out of college, you know, I'm watching all the film and I try to watch the film before I look at any of the stats Mm -hmm. because I don't want to go into it with any other motives. Well, this guy looks good in the stats. I should like his film. So I want to watch the film first and just look at him, how he plays and his tendencies. So with Zach Moss, he has some of my favorite things. Contact balance is huge. But you can't just have the contact balance. Then you have your David Montgomery's, right? Right. So you need a vision. And vision is a huge part of my process when I'm looking at it. Can they find the holes? Are they patient enough to allow their blockers to create create holes for them? I think that's a big part of it. And he does those two things very well. And then he adds in the contact balance and the ability to force missed tackles because he's so strong. And you're not going to bring him down with an arm tackle, that's for sure. And he's very flexible. And one of the things I look at is the hips, like how flexible are they? And I really enjoyed watching him. So all of that worked out watching him in a film and I was high on him, but then I went to the stats and everything that I look into him. It's just great. Like, so I did a, I did a little research project because PFF had an article out and they said five stickiest stats, right? Stats that you can look at metrics from college to the NFL that relate very well. And if they're good at them in college, you're most likely going to be good at them in the NFL. So that's their rushing grade and their receiving grade. And that might just be a little bit of uh, advertisement for PFF, but then also missed tackles (laughs) per attempt, yards after contact, and then yards per route run. I went back through the last six draft classes. So not even just the 2020 draft class. And I compared all of the running backs drafted in rounds one through four, uh, to each other in these categories. Moss was third in rushing grade, second in missed tackles per attempt, second in yards after contact per attempt, fourth in yards per route run, and ninth in their receiving grade. And this is comparing them against six classes. So a lot of running backs. There is no other running back that was top 10 in all of these categories or even close to it. Now, you might see some running backs that were high in one of these categories, and you might say, well, they were high here and they weren't good. But you have to be good in multiple categories, not just one. And Zach Moss was the absolute best when you use the average ranking of all of these compared to all running backs in the last six draft classes. And when I'm doing this research project, right, like I want to make sure this makes sense. Has it come out where running backs that are high in these averages actually work out in the NFL? And it came out pretty fantastic. So the top 12 includes guys like Moss, Dalvin Cook, Saquon Barkley, Jonathan Taylor, Josh Jacobs, Kareem Hunt, Joe Mixon and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and Alvin Kamara. Mm. And then you go to the bottom 12 and it's Jamal Williams, Justice Hill, Alexander Madison, Tyler Irvin, Deonta Foreman, Matt Jones, Kalen Balage. So when I'm looking at <laughs> there's this. Some, there's some like go the graveyard there of, of hype 
hype beasts gone by that did not work out in that, exactly. that bottom group. So it does seem like these stats are very important. And the ones that were great in all of these really worked out in the NFL. And the ones who did not, did not work out well in the NFL. So I liked the fi- the findings I had there. So the tape matched the stats. And that's what I like so much about Zach Moss. Yeah. And I mean, I, you know, the, the, the premise here is that I don't care about getting this backfield right. But I, I would say that when we started do, scheduling these podcasts out, I cared less than I do now. So your work is already starting to change my opinion here on the player because, I mean, look, and the Bills the Bills told us with their moves that they really like this guy, that they believe in everything that you just said. They took him in the third round and they, you know, you could argue that they really didn't have a need for a game changer at the position because I, I personally thought Devin Singletary had a really good rookie year last year, but mm-hmm. maybe they look at, and they see Moss as a potential upgrade or at least a very strong like I think it worse a very strong 1b tell me a little bit about his receiving work especially yeah. because I think that could be the clear differentiator between these two guys as to who's going to be the better fantasy play this year and going forward yeah so Moss is coming out of college with he wasn't too good of a receiver or he wasn't used as much in Utah in his first few seasons in college. But his senior year, he really showed that he had that skill set. His hands are really nice for a running back. He's able yeah. to just pluck the ball out of the air. He doesn't use his body. And he's able to get a lot of yards after the catch because he's so good in space. Uh, he was one of the top running backs in college in yards per route run. And that's one of the sticky stats we were just talking about. But the reason why I lock, like Moss here over Devin Singletary, I totally agree with you. He had a great rookie season. Love the way he runs. He's a great runner. But Devin Singletary coming out of college was one of the worst running backs in the passing game coming out of school. And then also was, again, in his rookie season. Now, people see that he had targets and they see he's small and think of him as a pass catching back. He's really not. I mean, last year he had one of the highest drop rate percentages, had one of the lowest yards per route run, had one of the lowest receiving grades. And that's exactly what happened in college, too. So you saw that translate very well from one stage to the next. He, like he drops the ball a lot. He fumbles the yeah. ball a lot. He has issues holding on to it. Mistake and prone. we need to see him doing more after the catch than he was. And now maybe that's the team. Maybe they're not putting him in the correct situations or maybe Josh Allen, you know, isn't putting the ball in the best placement or not dumping it off enough because he's a runner, but I am more excited to see what Moss can do as a receiver than I am Singletary. I do think he steals that role as he goes on. Yeah. And uh, my friend Graham Barfield does great work with his series on running back yards created. I believe Zach Moss was the best in terms of route yards per route run. His charting metrics too. I think Jonathan Taylor was number two. Uh, so another guy that, that might have some undersold receiving ability there that we could see further untapped in the NFL. So let's, let's talk, you know, the bottom line here. Michelle, let's let's really dig into it uh, in okay. the consensus ADP uh, in on four for four that I'm looking at right now, which is the source that I use because it's a good, uh, you know, amalgamation of everything across the industry. Devin Singletary still pretty high running back 23 here. Uh, yeah. Our guy, Zach Moss, all the way down at running back 41. I know I personally have Moss at 37, I think, among running backs and Singletary further down. Uh, where are you? Where do you have these guys right now? So right now I have Moss around my running back 27. So nice. I'm being realistic, but he is pretty high. But 
no, I'm not going to just assume he's going to steal all of the work right away. I think it's going to take some time. And Singletary, no matter what, is going to be involved in this offense because he's good. He's a good player. But when we're looking at fantasy points, I think Moss is going to get those touches that matter more for fantasy. The receiving work, the goal line work. I do believe he steals all of the goal line work. And Josh Allen being the goal line back in Buffalo is just a fake narrative. The <laughs> only reason he scored so many touchdowns is because Frank Gore's failed at getting yeah. in. I mean, four of Josh Allen's rushing touchdowns came after Frank Gore was given multiple opportunities mm. at the goal line. So at the two yard line at the one yard line, and it's not just like Frank Gore, you get one chance and then we're going to Josh Allen. It was two chances. It was three chances. And then they went to Josh Allen on fourth down or on third down when they desperately needed him. Cause he's the only one that could get in because he is good. Like he can get in, but I don't think Buffalo wants to use him in that way. Uh, two of Josh Allen's touchdowns were from 10 and 15 yards out. There's one at the one inch line. I think any team's going to use their quarterback there. They, he didn't actually steal a like steal a goal line carry from a running back, like snipe them after week two. Mm. His carries were in week one and week two that he was being used immediately at the goal line before they would give Frank Gore a shot. So we can see that the Bills didn't want to use Josh Allen in that type of situation. They want to keep him healthy. And I think, I think, that Zach Moss can be a little bit more productive at the goal line than we saw out of Frank Gore last year, who just <laughs> he couldn't even get an inch down there. Yeah. He was he failed miserably. Yeah, right. And I mean, I love that's a great nugget about uh, Josh Allen's rushing touchdowns coming after Frank Gore got his chances. I didn't even know that. And I mean, it makes a lot of sense too. like, I always come back to Amir Abdullah. That guy was always stuck. <laughs> even when he, like when he profiled as a pretty good fantasy pick before he obviously inevitably flopped, uh, like he was always going to never get passing usage because of Theo Riddick and never get goal line usage because of, uh, was it Joyke Bell? Yeah, that's right. Uh, <laughs> so like, that could be the role that Singletary is conceivably in this year. And that's typically not a guy I want to take. So I think if you're using Michelle's rankings, and I think if you're using mine too, you're we're telling you Singletary, we're below the market on, even if I still have him higher than Moss right now. And Moss, we are ahead of the market on. So be aggressive, target these guys. Michelle, thank you so much for coming on today and, and kind of hyping up Zach Moss here. It was a great, uh, I, I think you you perfectly pushed me towards what I think the right side of history is here, is that we got to care about this backfield and we got to care about the rookie face here. What else do you have going on right now over at the Ball Blastum podcast? <laughs> the Ball Blast podcast, what, 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 do you, what else are you working on right now? Yeah, so you can find the Ball Blast podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, all that good stuff. And then we also have all of our articles and content over on ballblastfootball.com. Uh, it's a kind of a newer website. We we posted it about a, a few months ago, but we have a few writers over there posting articles every day. Uh, we have a group of uh, guys that are really, really great in this industry that are just helping us produce content. Uh, we have live streams going on on Thursday nights at 8 p.m. You can check us out over on Twitter to see those live streams. And then also we're posting YouTube videos. We're trying to do one a day, just quick snippets, uh, 10 minutes, 15 minutes of us debating about a player, talking about who we draft over another in average draft position. So you can go check that out on Ball Blast FB on YouTube. Awesome. And you can find Michelle at Ball Blastum on Twitter. Make sure to follow her there so that you can congratulate her on hyping Zach Moss by the end of the year. Thanks so much for stopping by, Michelle. Really appreciate it. Thanks so much. So that's it. Thanks to my three guests for joining me, Charles McDonald, Jordan Rodrigue, and Michelle Majuk. Follow them all on Twitter. Go back and find their handles uh, earlier in the show. Come on, I'm not going to repeat all that information here. Podcast. In the meantime, 
while you're doing all that, listen to some podcasts, some other great Yahoo podcasts. We have the Fantasy Baseball podcast with our own Scott Pianowski. We have the Yahoo Sports College podcast with Dan Wetzel, Pete Thamel, and our friend Pat Forty from SI. They also have the most handsome producer in the entire business, my guy, Sean Sullivan. Follow us on Twitter at Yahoo Fantasy. I'm at Matt Harmon underscore BYB. And tomorrow, Dalton Del Don is talking to Chris Allen from 4 for 4. You're not going to want to miss that. We're out. I'm Mike Lizikoff, Chief Investigative Correspondent for Yahoo News. And I'm Dan Clydman, Editor-in-Chief of Yahoo News. We're the hosts of Skullduggery, a podcast that not only breaks down the news, but also breaks news. We deliver authoritative analysis while drawing intriguing historical parallels from our decades of covering D.C. scandals. With our current focus on the president and his administration's handling of the coronavirus, to the 2020 elections, we interview those helping to shape the stories. So subscribe to and download Skullduggery wherever you listen to your podcasts. And be sure to follow us on social media at Skullduggery Pod. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. Like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.